0: Good morning. It is so good to be back in the same room as you all, especially since y'all look like you're about to start open heart surgery right here in the middle of the pews. But it's good to be with you this morning and be able to connect with you once again. And a special greeting to those who are watching online right now. Um, I'm so encouraged to be able to be here this morning and spend time each and every service and seeing people's faces and spending time with all of you. There's such good and amazing energy as everybody's excited to be back in this place. And Um, What's interesting to me is I know it's not about being in the building. I mean, sure, we're excited to be back in the pews and the sanctuary, the auditorium, but it's just being with people, just being with the church once again. This is the church. It was never about the buildings, but the opportunity for us to gather together again this morning is a really, really encouraging thing. I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for what God has for us next, and I look forward to uh, being able to worship once again together, whether you're here right now or you're online. We don't want to rush it, obviously, but we're excited in the very near future for everyone to be back in the same spot At the same time, my name is Trevor Miller. If you forgot who I was in the past three months, I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and I'm honored to be with you this morning to be able to open up the scriptures together and to be able to wrestle through what God wants to teach us today. You know, for the past few months, it's been a strange time, right? I think everyone would admit at some point in time or another we felt this kind of strange sense over the past three months, kind of a lockdown of our own as we've been social distanced, as we've been quarantined within our homes, and it's, it's amazing because I would argue that even during these past few months, past few weeks, God has been recalibrating things within our life, maybe helping us see that some of the things that we thought were so important aren't as important. And there are things that are of utmost importance now that we've discovered maybe during this time. I believe God is always working, always speaking to us, always showing us, even in the middle of difficult times. So for instance, you know, during this COVID-19 kind of thing, you know, pre-COVID-19, we all would have been impressed by different things than we're impressed by now, right? So pre-COVID-19, if someone had a nice car and you were walking outside, you'd be like, man, that is such a nice car. And now it's kind of been turned on its head. So now we see somebody that's got like an unopened package of Charmin. We're like, wow, you have toilet paper. It's a completely different thing. Where before we'd see a house on the lake, you have a beautiful home on the lake. That is wonderful. It's it's amazing. And now it's like if somebody's got an unopened thing of hand sanitizer, like you're like, okay, show off. Like now, all the things that we used to see so important, all the things we used to prioritize, now during this time has been kind of turned on its head, we're beginning to see other things that are maybe more important that we should be prioritizing with our life. A lockdown can reorient the goals within our life. For a lot of us, I know this is happening because I've talked to many people. I know in my own life, the goals that I once had have changed now. It used to be nice cars, now it's just toilet paper. The house on the lake, now it's hand sanitizer. Our goals have shifted. As we opened up the book of Philippians just a few weeks ago to begin this series, a letter from lockdown, uh, this Philippians series, we've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the people living in Philippi. Now, as Paul writes this, he is literally in lockdown. He is in chains for the sake of the gospel. He loves Jesus and he wants to share with people about Jesus. And so, because of this, he's been arrested. So, he's writing this letter from a very strange place and time to folks who are living in the early church in Philippi, helping to instruct them to keep things moving forward, that they might grow in their relationship with God. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor Jeff did a great job of opening up chapter one to us. Chapter one is very clear. That God is always at work, especially during difficult and trying times, and if we allow him to work in our life, we might even experience joy right in the middle of a tough time. Last week, I believe providentially, God allowed us to look into Philippians chapter 2 as we began to see Jesus as our model. Jesus, the one who laid down all of his power in order to come to earth to serve those who were in need, to rescue those who were perishing we begin to ask the question, what power do we have in our life that we could lay down as well to lift others up? And so by chapter 3, Paul is beginning a whole new discussion, and he's—at the very beginning of chapter 3, the first six verses, he's looking at all the things that he used to consider so important, all the things that he used to have a high priority within his life, because his life has been reoriented around something new and something different. And so Paul is talking about these things, these things that once hold my attention. I used to hold so dear, now have faded away on account of something else, on account of God's work within my life. The first six chapters, apparently there are people within Philippi who are telling folks that if you want to be a part of this Jesus movement, there are some things that you have to do. There are some Jewish customs that you must take on if you want to be a part of this. And so Paul, he addresses this. And he says, Listen, if anyone had reason to boast, it was me. Paul says, I have a very impressive Jewish pedigree. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, he says. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a zealot who persecuted the church. And he was faultless in keeping the laws. So Paul says, all of these things that you're requiring of other people to be a part of this Jesus movement, they're not necessary. They're not important. To which every Gentile adult said, good, the whole circumcision thing, I wasn't so sure about this if I want to be a part of this thing. And Paul says, these practices, these goals, these priorities that we once had now have fallen to the wayside. They were misplaced. So here's Paul, the first six verses, sitting in chains, writing to the folks in Philippi, teaching them and leading them. He says, none of these practices, none of these trophies, none of these accomplishments, none of these accolades mean anything. The only thing that matters has been made abundantly clear to him during his time in lockdown. He sees it very clearly. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He says, He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider what? Loss. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. All the things I just mentioned, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them what? Say it with me. Garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, all the things that I once held dear, all the things that I used to spend my time and my energy and my affection towards, all the things that I used to value, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. Jesus has become to Paul the most important thing within his life. Now for some of us who are followers of Jesus, this shouldn't be a shocker, because as followers of Jesus, everything should be secondary to our relationship with God, but I'm the first to admit that too often I find other things to occupy my attention, amen? Too many other things that, that take my attention, my energy, my affection, rather than Jesus himself. And so Paul, as he writes this, he uses a very powerful and, yes, colorful word when he describes his feelings towards this past life that he once had. He uses the Greek word, we translate in English as garbage, but it's the Greek word "skubalon." Everyone say "skubalon." Good, you can use that today. Someone will appreciate it. This Greek word literally can be translated as waste that is given to dogs. It's made up of two words that literally can be translated as waste, given to dogs, or filthy scraps, or some people translate it as dung. So when Paul says, all these things that used to be so important to me, I now see them as skubalon. It's a very strong word. In fact, this would be a vulgar word. And to be able to mention what this word might be similar to in our connotation, I cannot do in the sanctuary. But trust me, when Paul says this, he's making a point. When Paul says this, it was for shock value. Paul says all these things that used to be so important. It's scubalon. It's waste given to dogs. It's filthy scraps. It's dung. Now, if you were a kid like me, you know what this was like when maybe your mom said, hey, listen, you cannot leave the table. Your dad said you cannot leave the table until you eat all of your greens, right? All your green beans, your broccoli, all the nasty stuff on the plate. And you know, as a little kid, you might be sitting there frustrated, like, I'm never going to leave this table. I'm going to die here. I'll I'll be here the rest of my life. But then you remember you have a furry friend in the house. And if you're anything like me, you took those green beans, put them on a fork, and you slid it under the table. And if you had a canine like mine, more than happy to come and help you with your plight, right? Eat it till it's all gone. It's, It's waste given to dogs. It's the stuff that you don't want. It's the nasty stuff. Paul says all of it all the things that I've worked for my entire life, all the things that I saw as so important now is scuba lawn. It's scraps given to dogs. It's dung. It's worthless. Paul says all the things behind me now I see as a loss in comparison to my relationship with Jesus Christ. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder, what are the things in my life that I consider to be so important? that I put it ahead of my pursuit and my dedication to Jesus. It makes me wonder, what are the things that we value within our life that take away from us knowing Jesus when it's actually scubalon? And when I say knowing Jesus, I don't mean just in an intellectual sense. Paul's not saying that you have a bunch of information in your head. Paul is saying that you would know Jesus to the point that he would change you and transform you to make you a sacrificial people, a generous people, a compassionate people, a people of justice. That's knowing Jesus. But what gets in the way? You see, in our context in Lexington and other places that I've been, We place such a super high value on popularity and status. Do people know who I am in the community? There are many who I know who place such a high value. They're obsessed with getting follows and likes on social media because they feel like it validates them. It gives them value. Many prioritize their bank accounts or their 401ks. Some they prioritize relationship, finding lasting love, and it monopolizes all of their energy, all of their attention. Some of us have addiction of some kind that consumes our mind like pornography or alcohol or substances. And Paul says it's filthy scraps. It's dung. It's scubalon in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus. As I look at the world around us, ironically, many people that I see see the church as something that's a throwaway item. They see Jesus as completely irrelevant, as salvation as something that's worthless. Christian morals, a throwaway item. But here's what I've learned in my life. One man's trash is another man's treasure. What some may see as trash and garbage, Paul sees as treasure and a prize. So my life changed when I was a middle school student. I was living in East Texas at the time. My parents worked with the organization called Mercy Ships, and my parents were in charge every summer of taking large groups of students and adults into Mexico for multiple weeks at a time, and it happened multiple times in the summer. So as a middle school kid, I was traveling to Mexico with my family multiple times a summer, uh, right alongside them doing all kinds of God's work, really, to help those who were in need of help. And I would love to say that I was excited about it, but I was not. We would head to Mexico with my family, another group of people, another group of students, another group of adults. And if I was honest, I was, I was really put out because it got in the way of what I thought life was really about, me. And so I was so focused on myself and the things that I wanted. I wanted popularity. I wanted status. I wanted stuff. I wanted all of these things. I wanted to be happy. And I found myself in Mexico with my parents every single summer. But I will never forget as an eighth-grade kid, We were in a dump, a huge massive dump where hundreds of people lived in Monterey, Mexico. And we were going door to door to these homes that were made up of pallets and metal and blocks that the government had come and dropped in this dump for people to try to eke out a meager living. They would dig through the trash every single day to find something to eat, to find something to sustain them. And so one day we were walking around with bags distributing food and bibles to these homes and praying with folks and The Lord did something in my heart as a middle school kid that I didn't see coming. Because again, my focus was on me. But I met these families and these people who had nothing, but they had something I didn't have, and it was joy. I had everything, and I was miserable. Here's what I've seen to be true within our life. There are people who have everything but possess nothing. And there are people who have nothing and they possess everything. And Paul knows the secret to this. And here's the secret. Jesus is their treasure. Jesus is the prize. There's nothing else more important to gain in this life other than knowing Christ, really knowing him. This is something that I was missing out on. And God changed my life as a middle school kid. And though today I know many would see my faith in Jesus as something that's a waste of time or a complete joke, but I see Jesus as a treasure. A treasure. Something worth pursuing, something worth going after. You see, Jesus was never meant to be a source of intellectual knowledge. Something that we just study. Jesus was never meant to be a way of winning your debate. Jesus was never meant to be a way to defend your political stance. Jesus was never meant to be a way to excuse our neglect of justice. Jesus is a treasure to be cherished. Paul says, I consider everything else in my life, all these things worthless for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. So much like my time in Monterey, my life was changed by seeing that there was something more important that I could pursue and go after It reminds me of the question that Jesus asks all throughout the Gospels to those who would listen. He says this, what good is it for a person to gain the whole world and yet what? Forfeit their soul. You could have everything and yet have nothing. My friends, I'm afraid that many of us are forfeiting our souls for temporary passing scubalon. That in the end means nothing. You see, for Paul, Jesus was his treasure. And his righteousness is not found in the abundance of possessions. His righteousness was not found in a high social standing. His righteousness was not found in godly heritage. His righteousness was found in Jesus alone on the basis of faith. A faith that was active. A faith that was real. So here's what Paul goes on to say. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, not intellectually, experientially. I want to know the resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Here's why Jesus is the prize and the treasure for Paul. He believed in something that the church has believed in for a very long time, resurrection. This idea that one day, because of our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, when we die, we don't really die. We experience new life. But here's the best news of all. You don't have to wait to die to experience this. Resurrection is a reality for us who follow Jesus right now. A new life right now. And Paul says, this is where my hope is placed. In resurrection. But listen to what he says. I want to take part in resurrection and so doing I take part in his sacrifice and his suffering as well. Here's one of the reasons why most of us never experience new life in Jesus. One of the reasons we never experience the fullness that God has for us and it's very simple. We don't want to die. Not in a physical sense. We don't want certain things in our life that we've seen as so important to die that we might experience new life. You see sometimes Some things must die in order to come alive. What Paul's talking about here is sacrifice, sacrificial living, a laying down of all the things that we used to hold as important, laying them down, dying to old ways of living and coming alive to a Jesus-oriented life. This is painful. This is difficult. It is not for the faint of heart. But unless we experience death, we will never experience resurrection. Letting God sift through the old and dusty ways that need to die so that we can come alive. Here's what I want to encourage you to this morning. Pay close attention to the things in your life that are dying. It's a clear indication to the things that you see as priority. If you look around in your life and you realize that your marriage is dying, it's time to reorient. It's time to reprioritize. If you look around and see that your family is dying, you better make some changes. If you look around and realize your character and your integrity is dying, you might be pursuing scuba on. things that don't really matter. Paul recognizes this is hard work that we must take on. And he says this in Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. I love what he says here total admission. Not that I've already obtained this, Paul says. I've not arrived, Paul says. I've not taken a arrival at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus first took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do listen to him, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul recognizes man, God's done some work within me, but he's not done yet. I've not obtained this. I've not not arrived at the goal in the end. I still have the goal that is Jesus Christ. You see, for Paul, as he looks forward in his life, as he puts everything else behind him, Jesus is his goal. Here's the question this morning. What is your goal in life? What do you really want? What is of utmost importance Is Jesus your goal? We all make goals in life, don't we? And we should. Certain goals, things we want to attain. I mean, for some of us, like we want to lose weight. We want to run a 5K. Not me. We want to get a promotion. We want to get a degree. We want to go skydiving. I know all of you want to go skydiving. You want to drink more water throughout the day. But when we are serious about a goal that we have in our life, we have a focus on making that thing a reality, no matter what it takes. I want you to think about it this way. When you have a goal of any kind, there are three ways that you can see this goal. Let's just say you're over here in life and your goal is all the way over there, whatever it might be. There are three ways of seeing it. Number one, as you look at that goal far over in that direction, you can feel this way. We will never arrive because it's too far ahead. We'll never get there. And it would be so amazing to finally have that happen, but it just seems like it's so far away, I'll never make it there. So what do we do instead of starting toward the goal? We give up before we ever start, don't we? It's too far, it's too hard, I'll never make it. So we don't even take one step. Or we can see our goals this way. You look and you realize you're not there, we've not arrived, but you think you've arrived, and so here's what you do. You settle. You settle you settle. I know I had this thing that I really wanted to have happen, this place that I wanted to get to, this goal that I had, but this will do, so I'll just stay here. Not recognizing that there's more work to be done. This is the most dangerous place for us to be within life, settling. There's a third way to see our goals, and it's when you look ahead and you see your goals, and you realize, I've not arrived, but you also look back and you realize, but I'm not where I started. I'm not there where I want to be, but, but I'm also not where I began. When I was a kid and we would travel with my family, all of us, of course, in the back seat. and you did this too, so don't point your fingers at me, we'd all say, what, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? And now that I'm a dad, I'm like, Dad, I'm so sorry for what I put you through. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And my dad had this way of answering that drove me crazy, but he did it every single time. If we asked, are we there yet? He'd be like, nope, we're not there yet, but we're further than when we started. Like, thanks, Dad. We're like 20 minutes out of the driveway. We've got hours ahead of us. and You're not really telling us an actual answer. We're not there, but we're not where we started. But it's true. It's true. For any one of us who get frustrated because we haven't arrived at the goal that we have for our life, don't be so frustrated that you missed out on the fact that you've come a long way. That God's doing something in your life. Now, now this is three ways of seeing any kind of goal in life, but I want to put it in terms of Jesus for a moment. Paul says, Jesus is my goal. He is is the goal of my life, the most important thing to me. Everything else I consider scuba on for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. But if we're not careful, we can fall into one of these three categories as well. If you're a follower of Christ and you look ahead to that goal, that place that you want to arrive to and fully knowing Jesus and living for him, if we're not careful, some of us, we can look and it might look so far ahead of us, so far away from us, that the only thing we can think to do is not try at all. I want to talk to that person for a moment. Don't do that. I love what Paul says. I I press forward to take hold of Christ, but what's it say after that? Because he first did what? Took hold of me. Man, if you feel like you are not worthy of the love of God, I got news for you. Too late. He's already taken hold of you. So take one step and put it in front of the other and move towards that goal. Move towards Jesus. Secondly, the most dangerous place we could be, especially in terms of our relationship with Jesus. We get to some place in our life, we look ahead, we've not arrived there, but in our hearts we feel like we have arrived. What do we do? We settle. God, you've done a good work in me. I don't cuss like I used to. I give a little money every every year to the church. I I show up for Sunday probably 50% of the time. I've arrived and there's no more work that needs to be done. I've got news for you. The Bible says this that the work that Jesus has started in you, he will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. There is work to be done in all of our lives. I don't know if you've noticed in the news lately, but there's a lot of work to be done within our world. And we cannot, sorry, we cannot afford to have a bunch of Christians who are settling, who believe they've arrived I'll be the first one in line to say there is work to be done in my life and Jesus, would you do it so I could be useful for you in making this world what you want it to be? Don't settle. There's this third way of seeing a relationship with Jesus. It's when you look ahead and you realize there's this place that you're going to arrive one day. There's this knowing of Jesus that you want to have with all of your heart. You're not there yet. There's work to be done. But if you look back and you see the faithfulness of God, I'm not there but I'm not where I first started. God, you're doing something in me. Would you continue your good work? Here's what I know for sure. God can work with people who have a humble heart and a broken heart, but God cannot work with people who are prideful and believe there's nothing left to be done in their life. So this morning, I wanna encourage us today. May Jesus be our goal. May all these other things that we've held so dear for so long, whatever it might be, may we consider it scuba scuba-on in order that we might know Jesus with all of our hearts and all of our lives. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you right now. And we want to be able to say, as Paul says, that we consider everything a loss in order that we might know you. God, help us to reprioritize our life. Help us to let some things die in order that we might experience new life in you. God, I pray you use every single one of us, God, to love mercy, to walk humbly, to seek justice in this world. And I pray, God, that you would do a work within us, that you might do a work through us. So for any person here this morning, God, that just feels like a relationship with you is so far away, there's been so many mistakes and so much done that taking that first step just seems like such a waste, God, I pray that you would encourage them to take that first step and move towards Christ as a goal. I pray for those of us today, God, who have gotten comfortable in our Christian faith, who have settled because we believe somewhere in our hearts that we've arrived. God, would you show us the work that needs to be done? I pray that today, God, for those of us who realize that there's a lot of work to go, we've not arrived in the goal that we have, but at the same time, God, we are so thankful for your faithfulness in our life and the work that you've already done. Would you move us forward as well? Father God, we love you. We need you. And we recognize that we don't do this church thing on a Sunday morning just so we can pat ourselves on the back, put some hand sanitizer on and go home. I pray, God, that we would see that as we leave this place today, that this sermon, this message, these hymns, play themselves out day in and day out as we live our life in a way that honors you. Give us compassion. Give us love. Give us opportunity, God, to be your people. We love you, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen.